0: Jesus resisted temptation. It seemed like that the that the deck was stacked against Jesus. That the favor was in Satan's hands, but what we see is Jesus coming out victorious against the devil. Whereas Adam and Eve sinned causing man to fall and There be separation from God and man as Jesus continues to live his life. He is reconciling and restoring God's people back to himself. And through this act of obedience, we see how Jesus truly is the Messiah who resisted sin in every way. And so what our text is going to tell us today is that Jesus continued to grow in popularity as he continued to travel around Galilee. But what our particular passage this morning will show us is that Jesus kind of has a little bit of a homecoming. (laughs) He has a homecoming and he he goes to the synagogue on, on the Sabbath and he's given the opportunity to preach. And what we see in this passage is probably one of the most amazing sermons where a a preacher is able to get a group of people to marvel at his words and then within five sentences or six sentences get them to hate him so much that they want to throw him off a cliff. (laughs) I don't know if if anyone's ever really preached a a sermon like that before besides Jesus where he can uh, change the attitude of the crowd so quickly. And so we come to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30, and it says this. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zerath in the land of Sidion, Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian, when they heard these things all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Father, would you please illuminate this passage to our minds and hearts? Father, without the the Spirit, without your Spirit allowing us to understand this passage, we will not be affected by it. And so, would you please encourage your children and convict them if need be? Would you lead those who have been, been wandering? Back to yourself. Would you allow us to bear fruit from this passage? Would you teach us this morning what your word has to say? Not what we want it to say, but what it truly says. Father, would you convict those that may not know you? Would you lead them to repentance, which is your kindness? Oh, we thank you so much for giving us this day to come and worship you together as one body. We pray this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. The van that Sharice and I had owned a few years ago had, had broke again. It, 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 was like, it was like a money pit. That's what this, this van was. And I got to the point where where I got just so frustrated with the van that I just said, okay, we're going to take it to a junkyard and we're going to sell it. And so that's what we did. We we took it to the junkyard, we sold it, and my my graham cracker, which I call, which is my grandma, um, was so gracious enough to let us borrow um, her Ford Focus station wagon. And so it was a warm, sunny morning, a warm Sunday, Sunday morning, and I had the, the normal nervousness of, of what I get when I'm about to preach. I, was, I had the opportunity at the church that I was interning for to preach that Sunday, and so I, I had this nervous, gut-wrenching feeling that I usually get Sunday mornings, so Sharice and I thought, okay, we better leave a little bit earlier than what we normally do. Our van was parked in our grass driveway that the people who had lived there before us had made in in an alley. And so we get prepared to leave. We we get to the car. I open the driver's uh, door. I get in. I am not driving. I look at my phone. I'm going to play some music because I like to play music before I I preach. And Cherise said, Max, we need to to get going. So here, why don't you give me your phone and and I will put on the music. And so I back up. A car was driving down the alley and I totally missed it and get into a car accident. Now, did you know that? The highest rate of car accidents happen within eight blocks of your house. Do you know that? It happens because normally you get so familiar with your surrounding area that you just think everything is how it is. You kind of lose the the awe and wonder or the, and why is that there? Of what's in the area. And so it took me eight inches to get into a car accident from my house. (laughs) But this is the dangerous thing about familiarity. And more so, familiarity with Jesus is incredibly dangerous. Familiarity with Jesus... Produces a contempt life of Jesus which leads to a joyless worshipless cold nominal Christian lifestyle this is truly scary we'll see what that looks like in this passage but but what What we we ultimately see is that Jesus, in this passage, has come to proclaim good news to the sick, not not to the healthy. And so we come to to verses uh, 14 and 15, and they say this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. See, what Luke is doing right here is he's, he's setting the stage for what is about to happen. Luke is bringing up a point that as Jesus went out from the wilderness to Galilee and the surrounding area, he started to get a little more popular. What Jesus would normally do is he would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he would teach. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus taught with such authority that people marveled at that authority. And even said, oh Jesus, he teaches, he's one who teaches with authority unlike the Pharisees and the scribes. And so we see that Jesus, he he went to Galilee. And is gaining popularity. And if you want to know what he did. That's chapters 1 through 4 in, in John. That's, those are things like, like turning water into wine. And, and healing the centurion guard's son. The conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus is, is starting to become like a, a fad around this area. Starting to grow in popularity. To the point where people are are glorifying him. You see, what the strange thing about fads are, though, is they gain a lot of momentum so quickly. I don't know if you're aware of the fad this past week with the, the face app. Uh, where you can take a picture of yourself and either make yourself look 150 years older than what you actually are or um, make yourself look like you are a 10-year-old child again. But that was the fad this week. It gained uh, quite momentum as I noticed on my social media page that I go on. As one day, my friends are 25-year-olds and 26-year-olds, and the next day, now they look like they're 87. This, this app seems to gain so much popularity that it says that nearly a million, if not more than a million, users had downloaded it and used it. People started talking about it, showing their pictures, sharing it with families. I had gotten a couple from my sister and brother-in-law. And it became such a popular app overnight. Mostly because people were were talking about it, right? That's, That's how things become popular is word of mouth. Do you remember when you started to gain interest in Jesus? When he started to become just a little bit more popular in your life? Most likely it was because somebody had continued to tell you or God was placing people in your path to continue to tell you about him. And so this started to maybe pique your curiosity a little bit. To the point where maybe you started attending church and you started hearing about Jesus. Whether it was through a sermon or maybe song. Or maybe you just picked up the Bible and started reading. And and you started hearing about Jesus that way. And maybe when you were done, you, you walked away glorifying Him. Truly amazed at who He is. And what he has done for you. See but here's where the road splits. Some are are radically transformed by seeing Jesus. They don't just glorify him for a time being. They glorify him for the rest of their lives. And the other group treats him as a fad, as a pair of pants just wanting to, to try him on to see if he fits, and if, if, it, if he doesn't, then just throw him back. But the question that I want to ask is, is, how is it that Jesus became popular in your life? It's because people in your surrounding areas started talking to you about him. They started telling you about him. Are we doing that with the people that are in our surrounding area? Telling them about who Jesus is? See, as Luke continues on in this passage, he sets the stage of telling us that Jesus is getting more popular. He's gaining momentum in his, his teachings. And so what Luke then takes us to is a hometown visit. We see in verses 16 through 22, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and was, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So we're told that while Jesus was in his hometown, it was during a Sabbath. And so what was custom, not that Jesus had to, but because Jesus wanted to, because he he loved his father, he wanted to attend the regular worship service. He wanted to worship God with his fellow Jews. This just makes me think, if Jesus saw, saw the worship gathering as important, do we see the worship gathering as important? So we continue to read, and as he was standing up, he was, he was given the, the scroll of Isaiah. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? So as Jesus was handed the scroll, he unrolls it. And he continues to unroll it and continues to unroll it and continues to unroll it until he gets to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Jesus knew exactly what he wanted to read to this group of people it's the gospel. What he is reading to these people is exactly what Jesus, he's he's saying, I came to do. I have come to proclaim good news to the poor and open up the eyes of the blind and set captives free. This is this is the gospel, this is the good news. See, many people argue does this mean social the social poor or or, or the culturally poor or the, the spiritual poor or, or or the financially poor? Or does this mean the, the those that have been oppressed in society or those that have been oppressed spiritually or or does this mean the physical blind or the spiritual blind? And and to all of that it's it's yes. But what Jesus is drawing out here is that he has come to bring good news. And what is good news no other than the gospel? He's he's saying here, I've come to bring the gospel to these people, to the outcasts. To those that would least likely expect to get this good news. This is who I am and who I am decided to bring this gospel to. And what do we see next? What we see next is the most incredible thing that we could possibly ever picture Jesus saying as he rolls this scroll up. All eyes now are fixed on him. The tension and anxiety of this great teacher in their midst, this hometown boy in their midst... What is he going to say? You can, you can cut the tension with a butter knife. And as he's sitting there, calm, cool, collective, as people are on the edge of their seats, he says this. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is literally t- telling them, he's telling his hearers that what the prophet Isaiah has written has been written about him and he has come to fulfill it. And not only has he come to fulfill it, but it is being fulfilled right in front of their very eyes. What does this passage then tell us? It says that they marveled. They all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They were were shocked. They were amazed. They were seeing his gracious words and they were thinking, wow. But they were also confused. Because what do we see that happens next? Jesus? J- Joseph's son? The, the one that, that built my table 15 years ago? Isn't that Joseph's son? He's, he seems maybe he's gone off the rails a little bit. I mean, we've been hearing stuff about him, but, but Joseph's son, really? I, I've been using the chairs that he built with his father now for the past five years. Joseph's son? Really? (laughs) This scripture's been fulfilled about Joseph's son? We've known Jesus since childhood. Joseph's son. But I wonder if maybe you can relate to that a little bit. Or maybe if you can relate to me a little bit. Do you remember when you first marveled at Jesus? Do you remember that day? Oh, what a, what a sweet and glorious day that is, isn't it? When you first come to recognize Jesus as your Lord. And that marveling tends to to look like you just can't hold in that Jesus is the Savior of your life. You, You can't help but want to just read his word day after day. And you can't help but say, I cannot wait to go and worship with my church. But something tends to happen after a while, doesn't it? Marveling then becomes mere thankfulness. Well, I am I'm, I'm very thankful that Jesus died for my sins to save me and to set me free. I'm I'm thankful that I have such a great church. I'm I'm thankful that, that I I have a, a Bible. I'm I'm just I'm thankful for Jesus. Which is not it's not a bad thing to be thankful for Jesus, so please don't hear me say that. But something happens then after thankfulness. Thankfulness then tends to turn into duty. Where you were you're once marveling at Jesus and obeying out of pure delight of oh, Jesus died for my sins. So I just want to obey him. Why wouldn't I? To now, I better show up to church. I better read my Bible. I, 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 better, I better pray. And if I just do these things enough, maybe it'll come back. But then something happens after duty, after you realize and, and just sit there and wrestle with the fact that your heart isn't in it. This is where we become familiar with Jesus. Oh, I, I know that I know that passage. I know what that Bible study is on. I, I, of course Jesus, he, of course he died for my sins and... And of course, he lived this, this perfect life. And, you know, I don't really need to go to church that much anymore because I kind of, I, you know, it just really hasn't been satisfying my needs. And, and it seems like, you know, the, the pastor or preacher is constantly pushing this gospel. I just need a little more than the gospel. I need a little more than Jesus. And so what happens is we then become familiar with Jesus and we just don't look at Jesus as the only thing that I need in my life. And if, if we look around, we could easily see that this has infiltrated the churches today, hasn't it? See, no longer normally is, is it, I just want to go and be a part of the church or a part of a Bible study or go out and have coffee or breakfast or, or whatever it is you do just to marvel at Jesus. I want Jesus and something else. So normally it could look like I hey, do you want to come to my my church? You can have a little bit of Jesus, but our sermon series is on 10 steps to a better marriage with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in there. Or, you know, I've been really struggling with my anger lately, so here's this, this book. There's a little bit of Jesus in there, but it'll help you control your anger a little bit better. Or, this place has a great youth group for my children. And there's that Bible verse that says Jesus' name in there, but they're going to teach on how to live a pure life for teenagers. And that's what my child really needs, is is just to live a a pure life. Well, when, when when we say it's Jesus and this, what we're saying is Jesus is not enough. Now, don't get me wrong. As a pastor, I want everyone in here to have the best marriage they possibly can. I want us to fight sin and temptation. I want our teens to live pure and holy lives. But that is not through moral behavioral control. That is through Jesus, Jesus, if, if I can encourage our body, Jesus can satisfy every single one of your desires. He really can, but as soon as we start saying, no, no, no I need Jesus and I need something else, we have totally lost Jesus by becoming familiar with Jesus. But when familiar goes away, Contempt comes. And we see exactly what this looks like in the next few verses and in in the rest of the passage, actually. Contempt also, if if you're not aware, means a lack of respect or or disgust. I, I do think it's possible for people to... And Christians to not respect Jesus or to be disgusted with Jesus. And once familiarity goes away, contemptment sets in. And we see in verses 23 through 30 what that looks like. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said to He said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but to Zareph in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. went away. Jesus, knowing the thoughts and hearts of men, he's, he's drawing out what they really want from him. They weren't marveling at Jesus because he was the fulfillment of what he had just read. They were marveling at Jesus because of what he could bring them. You know, what's amazing is that they... He, he, he says, he says, will you doubtless You will quote to me this proper physician, heal yourself. Do you remember when Jesus is on the cross, what he is being tempted with? If you're really the son of God, if you are truly the son of God, save yourself, heal yourself, Jesus. He healed others and he can't even heal himself. See, those that are in the synagogue with him right now aren't looking at Jesus as the fulfillment of the Scripture. They're looking at Jesus as the fulfillment of their hungry stomach. They want Jesus for what they can get out of him. They want a prosperous life. I, I, Jesus, we heard that you turned water into wine. You, you should do that here. Here. This is your hometown. Why, why wouldn't you do it here? Jesus, we, we heard you, you heal these people. You should do it in your hometown. Why, why wouldn't you do it here? We heard the conversations you, you were having. We heard about them. You should make this your, your capital, Jesus. Because we want those things. And so Jesus continues by communicating to them, look. Look. How can you be so blind? Have you not seen and read about the prophets? How a prophet is not welcome in his own hometown? How they kicked and beat prophets out when they spoke truth? Let me speak some truth to you. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel. So there were widows in Israel. But where did Elijah go? Where was Elijah sent to? He was sent to the widow who was not of Israel. And he fed her. And he clothed her and he comforted her. And if that's not enough here, let me tell you about Elijah. Elijah, he he was one of the great prophets as well. And there were many lepers in Israel. But where did he go to heal a leper? He went to Syria. what jesus is telling them is that elijah and elisha uh, i'm coming to the outcast those that are on the fringe i'm i'm going to those like they went it's it's right before your very eyes in this word in the word it's right there i've not come to fill your stomachs i've come to seek the poor the oppressed, the captives, the blind. Jesus still does this today. He still seeks and saves the, the poor, the oppressed, the captives, and the blind. As one dead old author, Richard Sibbs, puts it in, in a book, there is more mercy in Jesus, then there is sin in you. And if you are here this morning, that is a free gift offered to anyone. By repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus. There is no sin that outweighs the mercy that God has to offer. But what we see next is, is truly so tragic and, and sad. See, Jesus is saying, I haven't come to heal the Healthy, the doctor don't the healthy don't need a doctor, it's it's the sick. And because these these people in Nazareth were so familiar with, with Jesus, how do they respond after Jesus telling them, look, I have come to give you material things? It says that they were so Full of wrath that they chased him to the top of the hill. To the top of the brow of the hill. So that way they could throw him off the cliff. Everybody that was present wanted to kill Jesus right then and there. So they chased him to throw him off of a cliff. This is what it looks like to be contempt. When we become familiar, we start to think that Jesus has just come to me in order to give me what I want. And when I don't get what I want, who gets the blame? God does, doesn't He? It's God who then gets the blame. And so then wrath and anger fill up into our hearts. What's amazing about this passage is that it finishes with saying, but passing through their midst, he went away. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that they just let Jesus go. A miracle had to have happened for Jesus to escape. I, I just I don't believe that they were so angry that they chased him up to a hill that, that he just kind of squeaked out. Their hearts were so hard that the miracle that even happened in front of their eyes, they didn't even see. See, isn't this what we we see in movies when it comes to to marriages, when the marriage is starting to fall apart? You see a a husband or wife separate. You know, the, the movies usually portray it as One gets familiar with the other one, and then they just say, I I just don't know who you are anymore. You aren't like who you used to be. Usually bitterness and resentment come in, and then a lack of respect follow. It's because they've gotten contempt. And then they separate, and, and what usually is said then, oh, we'll just... We'll just be friends. We'll we'll be friends, we'll be we'll be separated, but not involved in each other's lives. This is what the movies portray, right? At least some of them. And it breaks my heart to see the same thing happen with Christians and their relationship with Jesus. We become so familiar with Jesus that we lose our awe of Jesus. And so what we do is we just show up and make Jesus a part of our lives instead of making Jesus our lives. What starts happening is when contempt sets in is well, I wasn't expecting it to be hard. Life is seriously so incredibly hard. And Jesus hasn't promised us that life will be easy. In fact, he says to pick up your cross daily. As Christian, Christianity is a religion about suffering, it's about rejecting ourselves. And so when we don't get what we want, it's hard. And that's why we need to look to Jesus and treasure Jesus and fight against becoming familiar with Jesus. When we become familiar and contempt with Jesus, we don't see the mission of the Great Commission, the, the mission to make disciples of all nations even relevant in our lives anymore. We start to use everyday excuses of, of I'm I'm aged I can't reach this generation or or now I've done my time so it's time to pass it off to somebody else no in ministry ministry you don't retire every single day you are supposed to be an ambassador for Jesus for the glory of God And when we become familiar in contempt, we don't see that as important anymore. What we see as important is merely and only my needs. So Jesus hasn't come to give us everything. He came to give us himself. And that's what's amazing about Jesus. That's why when you first started and when I first started to marvel at Jesus, it's because Jesus started to reveal that to me. This man literally came to live a perfect life and and die a death for me so that way I don't face the wrath of God that I deserve? (laughs) That's amazing! But yet it's so hard to continue on a daily basis to find that fire. And so maybe you're, you're thinking right now, I just want to conclude with, with two exhortations, two encouragements. Maybe you're thinking right now, I've gotten in the trap of being familiar, Max. I just I, I treat my relationship with Jesus as, as if it's a tradition. I don't see the mission of God as important. I don't, I don't love my neighbors like I ought to. In fact, I'm very judgmental and I and I gossip. I'd rather talk about loving my neighbor. I'd rather push it off to somebody else who maybe is a little more experienced than actually doing. I just, I just have gotten familiar and contempt with Jesus. What do I do? Well, it's no different than what I had suggested last week. Look to Jesus first. Look to Jesus first. And then Repent. Repent that you haven't been treasuring Jesus as you ought to. That he hasn't been placed first in your heart like he is supposed to be placed first in your heart. Next, know that you're not alone. This is the fight. This is the daily fight. Waking up every single day to treasure Jesus. And if you think you can do that by yourself, then you are kidding yourself. This is not a journey to be walked alone. In, in the great movie Toy Story, find a moving buddy. You're not alone. See, even David, even David struggled with this. In one of his most gut-wrenching prayers, Psalm 51, if you want to turn there, you can. If not, that's okay. In Psalm fifty one twelve after David is repenting, after Nathan called him out on his sin, even even David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation, God. Restore that to my heart. I want to feel that again. I want to experience that. Plead with God to give you joy daily. Like the persistent widow, if you continue to knock and you continue to ask, the door will be opened. And next, Jesus tells us who he was going to minister to. Jesus tells us who he was going to minister to. It's the poor, it's the blind, the oppressed, and the captives. That was you once. That was me once. I was poor. I was captive to my sin. I was oppressed by my sin. I was, I was blind to the evil and wicked things I was doing daily. But yet God, out of his graciousness, sent somebody to me to preach the good news. Isn't that what Romans 10 is all about? I'm going to turn there real quick. How then, Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are your feet of the feet of those that preach the, the good news? Somebody came and brought you the good news. And now you and me, were to do likewise. And this is what Jesus is saying here. I have come to proclaim the good news to the poor. That was us. I've come to proclaim the good news to the blind. That was us. I've come to proclaim the good news to the captives and oppressed. That is us. Are we fulfilling our mission to now do the same? We have a neighborhood that is ripe for harvest. We have a a city that is not perfect and glorified. People need to hear the good news. And so, let us see and know that Jesus came to bring the good news to the outcasts. And let us do likewise. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You're good and you're kind. And your kindness, it leads us to repentance. And so if, if there is anyone in here who, who your spirit is convicting to repent, allow them to know that they can approach the throne of grace and repent Because if anyone has sinned, then they can confess and know that you are quick to forgive. You are quick to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so, Father, I ask that this word would penetrate our hearts and protect us from becoming familiar and contempt with Jesus like the people in Nazareth did. So blind that he's fulfilling the scriptures right in front of their face, that they wanted to kill him on the spot. Protect us from wanting other things than you. God, would, would your glory go out from this church today, throughout the week? Would we leave here exalting your son Jesus? Pray this in your son Jesus' name, who is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Amen.